spirit-filled living is so urgent, isn't it? On, on a, and I, I should wait and, and, and save this for a minute, but uh, we, what, is, what is not necessary in our fellowship and our renewal, our, our ongoing renewal in the spirit, what is not necessary or what the way the way into that the way into renewal the way to ongoing renewal is not through striving i think so often people think i'm they're they're aware of being physically tired or um or or mentally tired or emotionally this or that or and they just think oh if it to be if someone says hey let's let's open ourselves up to the to the fresh infilling of the spirit many times people perhaps through a through a really the lie of the enemy many times or just the bad practice of religion many times people think well i guess that means somebody wants me to stand up and start doing jumping jacks until you know like till i do enough jumping jacks to where i'm totally exhausted and then call it call it revival um i think jumping jacks are fine uh, i think there's times for to to the bible doesn't say that you know jump because you have joy it says to jump for it <laughs> you know I think there are times that the ex, that there's an exercise of faith that's a, that's that's appropriate, right? But by and large, the in, the the infilling and the renewal, the influence of the Spirit is not. It's not a result of striving. It's a result of seeking and surrendering. As as Papa used to say, Brother Maul used to always remind me. He'd say, "Stay subject to the blessing." The key is submission, not striving. Striving can actually be counterproductive. <laughs> it can be. I have told you before, but let me repeat, that there was a, at least one meeting in my life uh, uh, where Lori and I were young married, and it was the 90s, and uh, we went to a meeting, a vineyard meeting at the airport, and everybody was weird there. Nobody was wearing shoes. Everybody was wearing waving flags. I thought they were all out of their minds. But I didn't care because I came there hungry, and it was the room was full of people. Where it was in the ball, uh, big whole big ballroom there at a at a hotel, and we sat in the very back. And uh, toward the end of, uh, they sang a bunch of songs I didn't know, and they waved flags, and I couldn't see the screen because of flags. And uh, and uh, and they were running around, running around like a bunch of hippies. And uh, but they had something I wanted. And uh, I'm a classical Pentecostal. These were charismatic vineyard folk, you know, and and. Uh, Toward the that as the, they then they they gave a message which was more about testimony, people talking about experiencing renewal in the person of the Spirit, and I understood that. I knew him; he was my friend. I loved him, and I thought, "Yep, that's why I'm here." And 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 so they had tapped into to this fresh fountain that I wanted. And so when they were closing the service, you probably remember I said to my bride at the time, I was probably a, a hefty 280 pounds, and uh, I said, "Put your hand in my back pocket and hang on," because we were in the very back of the room. And I, and I knew better that if you wanted God, you had to be in the front. So uh, I said, put your hand in my back pocket. As soon as they give an altar call, I am, I'm going to make it to the front of this room. You hang on. And they weren't, you weren't going to get in front of me. And uh, bless God, she hung on, and we went for it. Wow, we plowed through right to the front. And uh, there might have been one person in front of us, but I doubt it. Uh, and, and, uh, they, and then, and then it was, they played some music, and they said, all right, let's pray. And so then... Of course, you know, I'm classical Pentecostal, so, you know, when it's time to receive from the Lord, you know, every, every muscle 
fiber and sinew in my body was flexed, right? My teeth were gritted, and I flexed every, I was grabbing, I was seeking the Lord. I lay, lay hold of the horns of the altar, am I right? And uh, there's only one way to receive, and that's like this, you know, and so... Uh, so I was flexing and I was squeezing and I was praying in tongues with all my might, even all the muscles in my face. This is not an exaggeration. I don't, I'm not good at that, but this is 100% the truth. I'm just like, I'm going to get me some Holy Ghost. And, uh, and uh, so I'm just like this and this, this little Aquila and Priscilla with lanyards, this, this guy walked by me, Aquila and Priscilla, and this little guy says, I w- he says to me, hey, brother. He says, hey, brother, why don't you just relax? And I was like, relax? I can't relax. I'm trying to receive. And I, was, I ignored him. Relax, nothing. He doesn't know how to receive, clearly. So I flexed harder. I prayed harder, prayed in tongues louder. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I like to pray in tongues. I, that's a good thing. But, I mean, I was getting this. And I, I don't know how long it took him, but he didn't leave me. And he just kept saying, hey, man, <laughs> why don't you just relax? And I thought, what kind of theology is that? <laughs> I, and uh, and uh, so finally he actually says to me, why don't you just stop praying? And, I, and after I had enough of his heresy... Uh, I did what he said. I just said, all right, fine. And I relaxed, and I lifted my hands, and I didn't say a word, and I waited. And then a holy heat began to come over my person. Every, and, I, and I began to, and I, even my, my quadriceps began to feel like I had just been doing like heavy, heavy leg presses. I didn't do squats yet in those time of my life. But I knew, it, I knew what it felt like to have tired legs. And I began to feel this weight here like I was carrying something and I, this weight came over me, hot, 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 hot. And I, this had never happened before, never, 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 never. And uh, I thought, but I knew who he was. I knew who this was. I wasn't, this, the sensation was different, but the person I knew. Does that make sense? So, well, this is a new sensation, but I know this person. He, he came in my room when I was 11. I knew him. And... Uh, I began to get overwhelmed by this, the weight of his presence, and I, 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 I succumbed to that glorious awareness, that sense, and I just collapsed, I guess. I, I think I went this way, but I'm sure at one point I was, anyway, I was laying on the ground, and then I be, I'm, certain I, I, I'm certain I chuckled for a good 45 minutes, laughed in God's presence. Next to me was my my blushing bride of a year or so, and she w- was weeping in the presence of the Lord. And uh, I say all that to just remind us that, that, and that honestly, that moment, that was a renaissance, a renewal in my life. I, again, I knew the person of the Holy Spirit, have experienced him, delighted in him, uh, had wonderful encounters with him. But that, that was a new experience of learning to receive, not by striving, but by surrender. There was still an active receiving. My faith was still engaged. I wasn't passive. I wasn't disinterested. You know, I was clearly interested. And I wasn't, and I didn't just say, well, you know, if God wants to do something, he can do it, you know. 
There was none of that. It was absolute surrender. I will have all that you have. But it was that, it was almost like the striving was, you know, I don't know, I don't know what was going on. But, and I, I, I didn't, to receive, I had to submit. But I did receive. And it was a, it was a stark turning point in my life uh, uh, of experience and awareness of God's presence to where uh, yeah, I remember going home that night in our little apartment and we had a little cable box. Remember the cable boxes used to be on top of the TV and they would have little red numbers. And I remember our tiny little TV and there's a cable box and I, because I have it, because this is what you do, you come home and you go flip because you're a robot. And uh, I started channel surfing and all of a sudden, and there was nothing on there offensive because you know we didn't have any of those kinds of channels of course, but I remember going, I can't watch any of this. I was so aware of the holy presence abiding in me that I thought, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't be around this. I can't see this. And it changed the way I, television, it changed the way I, 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 I was a, a, a deeply affected the way I was related to, to Laura. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't abide being, you know, I'm be, be, being a standard 20 year old one year married male, which is, which is means mostly happy. And then I'll, then, you know, just being, it being the youngest, I couldn't buy being grumpy or harsh or impatient. Anything like that uh, affected me. I, 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 I just, I had a desire to be pleasing to God. So it's no, it's no wonder, it's no, that my whole life, my whole life, this is just testimony, my whole life has been marked by uh, the experience of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the that uh, that vital contact with the Holy Spirit is the flashpoint and the fountainhead of authentic Christian living. I do not believe for a single moment that the spirit-filled life is an option or an elective. Or an accessory. The spirit-filled life is life. Now, the problem that some folks have as soon as you start talking that way is they, again, because of templates, they'll say, oh, by spirit-filled life, you mean, and they'll identify one or two specific aspects. We've talked about People will relegate spirit-filled living to a worship style. Oh, you mean a certain volume of singing or, you know, tambourines or, you know, flags or ribbons or whatever. You know, oh, you mean that. Oh, you mean a certain volume of preaching. Or, oh, you mean speaking in tongues. Well, I do mean speaking in tongues, but I certainly don't only mean that. I certainly could never relegate or limit the spirit-filled life to a singular expression of the spirit. Silly. But the problem is people will stop you and say, oh, tongues, I heard about this, I moved on. Or, or worse, maybe worse is tongues, oh, I've got that, next subject, moving on. And you've missed the fact that this is not about a singular accessory. This is the fountainhead of all Christian living. I have certain degrees of concerns, and I, I don't mean that I am some sort of a sage or a adjudicator of, uh, of Christianity. But, you know, I've, like I said, I, I'm 48, and I've been in church 49 years, and uh and I've been around for a smidge, and I've been involved in a couple of different churches and been in church a few different states in the, in the country and, I don't know, seven or eight nations in the world, uh, done some things. 
and uh, been, been involved in at least three different aspects or expressions of, of uh, teaching at different Bible colleges and stuff. And uh, I, I have a few things that remain a concern. But the good news is, <laughs> these concerns aren't new. These concerns are the concerns of humanity uh, and, 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 the Christ, and Christian living. I just think, I, 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 I remain, like, I'm concerned about the prayer life of the church. It's not that it's not new. I, the church has always needed to pray. The church hasn't always prayed well. She goes through seasons of praying better than she has. And in different pockets and places, she does better. But I believe that I, be, I, I, be, I deeply believe that we, the church needs to be be better prayers. And I think there's a there's a solution. There's a means for that. I think I, I, I can, I'm concerned about you know righteousness and how righteousness is defined and lived out. There's a, there, once again the church by and large. Now I'm talking about these are big, broad, almost unfair, stereotypical brushstrokes. But there's a big, you know, especially in North America, the church is almost willing to just surrender ground in, in terms of righteousness when it comes to identity and human sexuality and all these things. And it never turns out good when she starts compromising. It never works out well. It never works. She starts, well, what maybe, and then the always as well, if we give a little bit, then maybe we can gain. You will never gain. We'll never gain. We will, we will be emasculated, we'll be, we will be de-empowered. Every time the church gives up power or purity, she begins to crumble. But the good news is, every time she does, the Lord raises up somebody who says, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. And there's fresh outpourings. I'm, I, get, I'm, I'm, I remain concerned about, about people suffering with sickness and infirmity and oppression. Uh, this is not the night that I want to talk about it, but we're going to have to talk more about the fact that the... The kingdom of darkness is far more real than we have given acknowledgement of. It's far more real. It's far more active. We delude ourselves into thinking that it's, that's for other nations or other places. We delude ourselves into thinking that because we are more uh, 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 Renaissance-minded, that we are more, uh, you know, my, we are the, 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 whole, um, the whole reason, the whole birth of reason, the triumph of reason, which is a total facade, uh, uh, that somehow that has that has dismissed the reality of the demonic because we can afford nicer things we have we have better phones or whatever that the, the reality of the demonic isn't bothering us we are deluded we are deceived and we are powerless because of it we will not see widespread conversions salvations healings and and revivals until we break the head off of principalities in regions you've got to confront Jesus came Jesus Christ was famous first and foremost as an exorcist just deal with it not a storyteller an exorcist who also told stories awesome stories i'm concerned about families and relationships and the breakdown of marriages and families that are that, that happen i'm concerned about the increase of religion and routine and the decrease of power and purity I'm concerned about the the increase in in perfecting social media with a hollow emptiness in the hearts of spiritual leaders. That's not, none of that's new. I'm not being a doomsdayer. I'm just saying those things are out there. And all it does is remind us that the singular solution to all of this is the spirit-filled life. It's the, it is the singular solution. Oh, come on. There's not a one solution. Yes, there is. 
one solution. It is the spirit-filled life because the spirit-filled life is, contains, carries all of life. Charles Spurgeon said, he said, if I'm going to pray for anybody, he said at one point in his life, he stopped making big, long prayer lists and praying a lot of things for people. He said, when I pray for someone, I pray for one thing. Lord, give them your spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with everything heaven has. It is the best thing heaven could give them. And if Spurgeon said it, it must be true. (laughs) Jesus said in John 6, 63, that it is the spirit who gives life. And the flesh amounts to or counts for or profiteth nothing. That means that the solution to all of these things will not be found in our cleverness or our charisma, but in the charismata. The solution to these things will not be in our personality, but in the Spirit's power. So I ask us again tonight to join our faith again as a house, a quorum of this house. Will you join together and with me toward a shared resolve to seek and to submit to the Holy Spirit? Vital contact. The Christian life is about vital contact with the Spirit. Now, I'm going to Ready? Now I'm going to support the assertions we are making. Why do I, how can you say, hey dad, yeah, how can you say the spirit-filled life is the Christian life? How can you say the solution to all these things is spirit-filled living? Because Jesus Christ came to bring his church, his followers, in singularly into vital contact with the spirit. And that is, that is what, that vital contact with the spirit determines and defines discipleship. It makes us disciples and enables us to be disciples. It is what discipleship is, is living in vital contact with the Spirit as I obey and imitate Jesus. What is discipleship? Living in vital contact with the Holy Spirit so that I can obey and imitate Jesus. How can we say that the purpose of this whole thing is the whole objective? How can we say that vital contact is so supremely important? It is the vanguard. It is the spirit. It is the flashpoint, the fountainhead of everything. We go through the Gospels. Let's start with the Gospels. Every, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, and John later on, every Gospel, when Jesus is introduced, the introduction of Jesus, how is he introduced? He is introduced by John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Let's stop for a second. If jo- Why do we call him John the Baptist? Well, and that's not a trick question. It's that easy, really. Why do we call him John the Baptist? He baptized people. He baptized people. Well, I mean, is it possible to know? Is it, would it, if you were, if you were a, 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 a disciple of John the Baptist, what would that mean? You knew him as the guy who did what? What if you said, I like, John the, I like that John the Baptist feller, but I'm, that water's not for me. 
Well, then you're not John the Baptist. You just know him as John. Right? I just like John the preacher. John the ba- his whole life, John's whole life, his whole ministry is defined by, oh, he's the guy that gets you in the water. Now, I'm, I'm, as soon as you are 100% with me, we're going to go, hi-ya, here in a minute. Okay? So, John the Baptist, who is he? He's the guy that gets you in the water. We're going to say that. Oh, John the Baptist, he's the guy that. How do you know? Any, to, to know John, to follow John, is to know that he's the guy that. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. That's who he is. Okay, very cool. Well, John the Baptist calls, and they, he comes, and they say to him, what do they say to him? Ooh, are you the Christ? Are you the guy? Are you the one we've been looking for? Messianic expectation, huge and on fire in Second Temple Judaism, first, first, first century Palestine. A messianic expectation is hot. It's on fire. Everybody's expecting the Messiah. The, whole, the Spirit of God is just brooding over, whoo, like just... Just take my word for it. He is brooding, just like in Genesis, over Palestine. He is brooding. Don't th- whenever God, you think the Holy Ghost was not even around, not, do, not talking to anybody, not stirring anybody up, and Jesus is about to be born? Come on. No, no. Just like, just like Genesis, when the Spirit of God was hovering over, the Spirit of God was brooding over that place. Secular writers, religious writers, everybody's talking about Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. Is he coming? Is he coming? That's why when you read the book, when you read the Gospels, they keep saying, are you the one? Are you the one? We're expecting. He's coming. There's expectation was hot. God always stirs up expectation before there's manifestation. <laughs> All right, that's not a thing to be fun about. All right, so anyway, he said, John Baptist, and he says, I'm not the one, but he's coming. Somebody say, he's coming. And every time, every single time, I've already took him too long on this, but every time John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the one who is coming, he says that one thing, he, the one who's after me, he's going to come, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Matthew, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Luke, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Mark, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John, John says, John, John quotes John the Baptist and says, the one that sent me said, look for the feller. The Holy Ghost comes on and stays on. He's going to give the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will baptize in the Spirit. Every single gospel, the introduction to, to, to know Jesus. Ta-da, who's Jesus? He's the baptizer in the Spirit. Who's Jesus? He's the Who's John? He's the, he's the one that gets you in the water. Well, then, is it possible to know John without knowing he's the? John says, just like I'm the guy who gets you in the water, there's one coming after me, and his singular identity, just like me, same experience, different substance. There's one who's coming after me, and just like you know me as this guy, he's going to do that to you, but with a different substance. To know him at all is to know that he has, just like I have come as the Baptist, he, Jesus is the baptizer. He came, he is introduced as the one whose his entire mission is to bring his followers into vital contact with the Spirit. That's why we can't say, oh, you mean tongues. Well, I mean tongues and everything else, but I don't just mean that. Stop. You're going to get a hang-up, especially people, classical Pentecostals. They get a, they get a hang-up and a hook-up. I have that, or I'm offended by that, so I don't want to talk about that. Fine. Let's talk about vital contact with the Spirit. So all the Gospels introduce Jesus as the one who will baptize in the Spirit, as the one who brings us into vital contact. John, in John, the, John the Gospel of John, then, written written after the synoptics by, by, by many decades, John, in hindsight, includes things in his gospel that, 
the synoptic gospels do not include. And it's almost like we have to infer that what John is doing is saying, hey, I know that these other documents are out there. I agree with them. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't correct them, modify them at all. Uh, I can explain something, but I don't need to right now. It has to do with uh, the Sadducees and the, and the Essene calendar and the, and the sun and the moon and Passover. But that's a whole, we don't need that. We'll do that at Easter time. Um, uh, you know, John doesn't correct anything. He just, he just includes a, a couple of stories, and then he includes a conversation in the upper room that the Synoptic Gospels writers do not include. It's almost like John wants to tell us, hey, you, you all need to know what we knew. You need to know what Jesus told us about living in vital contact with the Spirit. John, John goes out of his way to include material in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus takes his disciples into the upper room, and it's called the theologians call it the paraclete passages, where Jesus says, I'm leaving, right, John 14, I'm leaving, but don't let your heart be troubled, I'll be back. But in the meantime, John chapter uh, 14, verse 12, he, you have work to do. Those who believe in me, the works that I do, and greater works shall they do because, he says, I go to my Father. You have work to do. You're going to do greater works than me. How and why are you going to do those works because I go to my Father? What's the connection with going to the Father? What does him going to the Father have to do with any of us doing anything? Because in chapter 16, he says, when he goes to the Father, he said, I will pray the Father, and he will send you alas parakletos. He will send you another helper, another advocate to help you. Jesus going to the Father meant that he was going to send alas parakletos, one who would come and be just like him in our midst the way that Jesus was. That the Holy Spirit would come and be in us and among us the exact same way. That's, that's, we've talked about this. The Greek is alas, one who is just like me. He will come and be just like Christ. He will be like me. Jesus turns and through, through 14, 15, and 16, he tells his disciples what to expect when the Holy Spirit comes. What to expect from vital contact. Would you say it out loud with me? What to expect from vital contact. The Gospels begin by saying, he's coming to bring vital contact. John says, this is what you he tells his disciples. This is what you should expect. He's going to be a helper. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to convict the world of, of, of righteousness and sin and, and the judgment to come. He's going to do all this work. He's going to reveal to you that what's, what's coming. He's going to be the singular voice from heaven. You're going to trust him. You're going to listen to him. He will be with you. He introduces the Holy Spirit essentially as their new rabbi. They were going to listen to him, follow him, listen to the Holy Spirit's direction and impulse. And he, would, he says, don't worry, there's not going to be multiple voices from heaven and all this kind of nonsense. He said the Holy Spirit's going to speak from the Father to the Son. There's going to be a singular voice of the triune Godhead, a singular voice from heaven, the Holy Spirit. He gave us a singular voice to lean into and to trust. Amen. This is the promise. Of, this is, so in the Gospel of John, this is the Holy Spirit predictively written. This is who he's going to be. Then we pick it up. So that's then Jesus, you know, he ascends into heaven. And then, fortunately, Luke picks up that narrative in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we have, what's the book? The book of Acts then describes this is what happened. John writes predictively. Luke writes descriptively. He says this is what happened when the church was brought into vital contact with the Spirit. And he describes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He describes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the language of experience. There's at least six different words that, that Luke uses to describe the same encounter, type of encounter with the Spirit. Uh, filled, received, come upon, 
uh, poured out upon. Uh, well, there's a whole bunch of them. But uh, all of these, 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 these phrases that the, as, the, as the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, the church comes into who she is and then begins to act like who she is. When, when Jesus says in Acts 1, you shall be my witnesses, it is unfortunate that we have reduced that to a single behavior, to going witnessing, that we have changed a noun into a verb, into a singular verb. You shall, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the only, see, the problem is, especially in class, classical Pentecostal circles, we have reduced experience with the Holy Spirit to somehow a forensic uh, thing like now you are just God's. You're, now you, you the Holy Spirit came upon you, so you can go be uh, the sa- salesman for Jesus. And everybody loves a salesman. <laughs> Being a witness is something that you are, and then you act like something that you are. As a matter of fact, Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 40, 46? Could be 43, I don't know, but it's verse 10 and 11, whichever, it doesn't matter. Look at 43 or 46, it doesn't matter, verses 10 and 11. And, and in Isaiah, in Isaiah, the Lord says to Israel, he said, you are my witnesses. And, that, and, the, and what he means by that is they are the people who know him and revere him and obey him. And that because he saved them, they become evidence of him. He said, you are my witnesses that that essentially all the world will know that I, the Lord, am God. It It is his saving work in their life and their relationship with him that makes Israel his witness. Luke is the only one who uses this word witness. Luke also likes to quote from Isaiah several other times. What I'm saying is I believe that Luke was intentionally, I believe Jesus was saying it, but Luke was drawing his audience's attention that, that, that the spirit-filled community is the evidence of the God who saves. That to be, when he says, you are my witnesses, that means you are now the evidence on the earth that the Lord is God. And specifically, Jesus is Lord. And, it is, and be, by being the spirit-filled community, you are the witnesses. And then by acting like that, part of the, part of the expression of that spirit-filled community is, of course, service and proclamation and testimony and prayer and, and, and evangelism. Okay, all of that is part of being the evident. But so significant is being brought into vital contact with the spirit. You see, it's not ancillary. It's not, it's not a piece of jewelry. It is our whole identity. The whole identity of the church of the church is we are the spirit-filled community. And what that looks like is the church is the continued, and it, we see in the book of Acts, the church continues to be the expression of the very anointing of Christ. She just she obeys and imitates Jesus corporately. And everywhere she goes, she is the continuing expression of Christ in the world. She just keeps obeying and imitating Christ. So then we have the Pauline epistles. Unfortunately, many theologians like to, like to differentiate between a Lucan, a, a Lucan pneumatology and a Pauline pneumatology. Like they're different, and they're absolutely not. 
John says, this is what is going to happen. This is what we knew. Jesus said this is what was going to happen when we were brought in con- into vital contact with the Spirit. Luke writes the book of Acts and says this. This is what it looked like as the church was brought into vital contact with the Spirit. Paul, who himself is, has been brought into vital contact with the Spirit, Paul's letters, each of his letters to each of his churches are essentially, here's the template for understanding Pauline epistles. Since you have been brought into vital contact with the Spirit, live this way. That's every one of his letters are basically that rhythm. You have been brought, Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, here's a, a good example. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and you were also included with, in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. God's, see, it is the Spirit upon us that marks us, seals us as the possession of God to the praise of His glory. That is the, and since you've been marked, since you've been brought into vital contact, we live accordingly. So that's why most of Paul's writing, we have these, we have these Pauline spirit imperatives like be filled with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, do not grieve the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. All of Paul's writing is telling us, hey, you all, you have been brought into vital contact with the Spirit, and this is how you live because of it. So my whole point then is just to say this again, that the spirit-filled life is the fountainhead of all of Christian living. This is who we are. We are people of the spirit. So the, and, it, and as such, our, our resolve to seek him and surrender to him is the only way for us to be who we are called to be who we must be, who God has assigned us to be in this world. It is the only way for, for the, if we're going to be a church who prays, we must pray in the Spirit, by the Spirit, by His empowering. If we're going to live righteously, the, that we're going to live under his, the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <sighs> if we're going to, if we're going to, have soundness in our bodies and our minds. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline or self-control. All of these things are because of the Holy Spirit in our life. If we're going to have marriages that last, then we are going to be, be filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands, and husbands love your wives as Christ of the church. All of this is only possible by the Holy Spirit. If we are going to confront darkness and disease, Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is this living, vital contact with the Holy Spirit that is the fountainhead Christian life. So I close tonight just by saying, I've already talked too long, but just by asking us again, my whole point tonight is this, will you join me? Will you, can we join together in a shared resolve to seek and to submit to the Holy Spirit?